Salo Falava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. We know for sure that there is a linkage of transmission locally. American Samoa confirms its second measles case, with 49 considered probable. Also, the U.S. partners with PNG to promote stability in one of the most violent provinces. And later on... I feel just empowered, empowered to contribute for my community. Pacific Youth call for action to abolish the use of nuclear weapons while attending a summit in Hiroshima. But first up, a quick update from Samoa in which the government has announced a five-day school break for students beginning next week to help control an influenza outbreak that occurred seven weeks ago. Mandatory mask wearing and social distancing will also be enforced. Final Funua reports. The government says it's a precautionary measure in response to an escalating number of influenza cases, which it describes as alarming. According to Samoa's Ministry of Health, there have been 2,441 hospital admissions. That's an average of 150 a day, and 70 of the total cases are classified as severe. A school break will be enforced from the 1st to the 5th of May, although teachers will continue to work under normal hours. Mandatory mask wearing and social distancing has also been enforced. The dramatic measures come just days after neighboring American Samoa announced a public state of emergency to address a measles outbreak. American Samoa has confirmed its second case of measles in the territory and has 49 probable cases. The second case is a four-year-old boy from Tafuna who goes to the same school as the first confirmed case announced on April 18th. The probable cases are in children aged from two months to 13 years old. Caleb Fotheringham has been following the developments. American Samoa is in a state of emergency and will remain in place until at least May 24th when the declaration expires. It allows the Department of Health and American Samoa government to use all necessary powers to contain the risk of the disease spreading. Department of Health epidemiologist Scott Anessi says the latest confirmed case would definitely be labelled as community transmission. The signs and symptoms of the probable cases matching, the new case is linked to the original case as well. They both go to the same school. So we know for sure that there is a linkage of transmission locally. Mr Inessi says the territory is forecasting sporadic cases in highly populated areas and in people who are unvaccinated. So far, he says, the outbreak was behaving how health workers expected. We're expecting that, you know, we'll see sporadic clusters here and there, but not specific surges, if you will, as long as we continue to keep up our vaccination and maintain our target population. Mr Inesi says the Department of Health would more accurately be able to model the outbreak when test results sent to Hawaii earlier this week return. The state of emergency means all schools are closed. RNZ's correspondent, Fili Sangapolo Tili, says it was a blanket approach. There's all public and private schools, early childhood education schools, daycare centers which take care of children under two years old, and also the American Samoa Community College, just to be on the safe side. Ms. Sangapolo Tili says it's rumored that the virus made its way from Samoa. 
Mr. Anesi says someone from the Department of Health was still looking into the origins of the measles cases, but it was no longer a priority. At this point in time, the shift has really focused on, especially with the second positive, is identifying as many cases in the community as we can find. So basically ramping up our testing, identifying cases that are symptomatic and getting them tested. Meanwhile, in Samoa, the Director General of Health, Iono Dr. Elik Ikoroma, says it's only a matter of time until measles arrives in the country. Measles will arrive in Samoa. It's a very infectious disease. And now that's just across the border there, 80 miles away, it's going to come. But I'm hoping really that it will be delayed by a few more weeks to get our vaccination rates even higher than what it is now. Ayono says he thought closing the borders was too harsh. But travellers from American Samoa will require proof of their measles, mumps and rubella, or MMR vaccination, to enter the country. Passengers will also be subject to screening tests. Ayono hopes there will be enough time to boost the vaccination rate, which is currently 90% for MMR1 and 60% for MMR2. I'm hoping really that it will be another two weeks or three weeks before it comes and give us more time really to get up the vaccination rate to 80% for the MMR2. The first MMR1 dose in Samoa has been lowered from one year to six months. In 2019, the country experienced a devastating measles epidemic that originated from Auckland, resulting in 83 deaths. Ayono says the vaccination rate was too high for another outbreak like that to happen again. It will not be as bad as 2019, when more than 5,000 people were sick and so many deaths. It won't be that dramatic. Samoa has extended its school holidays by a week to try and reduce the risk of measles spreading. Ayono says at the moment there are no probable cases in the country. The United States is partnering with the Papua New Guinean government to try and prevent conflict and promote stability in Hela, one of the country's most violence-plagued provinces. Bloody political and tribal conflicts have claimed dozens of lives in the province with ongoing law and order problems punctuated by spikes of unrest resulting in the PNG Defence Force being deployed to help restore peace. Earlier this year, the U.S. State Department announced a 10-year strategy to help prevent conflict and promote stability in Papua New Guinea. An initial allocation of $10 million U.S. dollars will go towards pilot initiatives in the provinces of Hela and Morobe, with a focus on elevating gender equity, equality and women's empowerment. Kuroi Hawkins spoke about the 10-year strategy with Anne Wachowski, Assistant Secretary of the Bureau of Conflict and Stabilisation Operations at the U.S. State Department. He began by asking about Ms. Mikowski's recent visit to Papua New Guinea. Thank you. Yes, I recently returned from a visit to Papua New Guinea, and I was there to hold discussions to advance our work under the long-term U.S. strategy to prevent conflict and promote stability. As announced by President Biden last year, we're partnering with Papua New Guinea under the strategy. It is an effort that advances important reforms in the way that the United States partners with other countries to build resilience to violence or conflict. And we want to be part of PNG's growth as a leader in the region. Papua New Guinea has an important role among the Pacific Island countries as a leader in the regional economy, one with a history of democratic elections and a presence in regional and international organizations. So implementation of this U.S. strategy is an opportunity to strengthen our bilateral relationship with Papua New Guinea and put into practice our commitment to strengthening our broader partnership with the Pacific Island countries. 
Now, you you got three sort of objective outlines for this. Um, strengthening community capacity to prevent, mitigate, and respond to violence, support sustainable and equitable economic growth, and improve justice systems and professionalize security forces. Was this was the were these developed in consultation with, with Papua New Guinea? Yes, thank you. Uh, in the context of, um, of of developing the plans, uh, the, the approach that we're taking, we held many consultations, over 100 consultations with a wide range of individuals and organizations in Papua New Guinea. Uh, this is a very important component to our approach uh, under the strategy, and that is to be consultative, uh, to build partnerships, uh, to ensure that we are working with a f- knowledge of the local context uh, in which we are in which we are working. In terms of the time frame going forward from from here, what's what's been achieved? Is this a proposal? It's been signed. What are the next steps? Mm, thank you. Yes. So uh, you've noted that the the approach that we're taking the plan has these three uh, important components a focus on sustainable and equitable economic growth, capacity building of security forces and the justice system, and strengthening community capacity to prevent, mitigate, and respond to violence. And it reflects our priority of promoting gender equity and empowering women and girls to become effective agents in preventing violence all across our areas of focus. Uh, The the plan, uh, the approach also uh, puts a priority on local ownership and sustainability, transparency and sharing information, and it's aligned to Papua New Guinea's vision for its own future, seeking to support and amplify the important work that is already underway. The uh, the efforts under this, this approach uh, are building on uh, work that is already underway, and we continue to move forward, deepening partnerships and advancing the objectives under the under the plan. How much of the... the implementation of this is sort of in line work with ministry um existing programs and that within the government and how much of it is like new initiatives and projects run by the US that's an excellent question so um so i think it's important to understand that uh that the approach itself broadly is intended to align with the goals that Papua New Guinean leaders have already articulated for their country. Uh, Most recently in the Vision 2050 strategic plan, like long, for example, longstanding goals uh, in the areas of human development, equality and participation, self-reliance, conservation and equitable management of environmental resources. So broadly speaking, uh, our approach is, uh, has taken very much account of the of the goals that have already been established by Papua New Guinea. How much is this all going to cost? And it's across ten years, I understand. Right. So we've taken a long term uh, approach uh, under under the strategy, a, a ten year approach. That's a key component of uh, again of of our efforts. It allows us to uh, to focus on. Uh, to balance uh, longer-term goals with near-term flexibility, and they need to adapt uh, over time as conditions warrant and as we learn uh, and and uh, learn from our consultations. So, uh, so under this long-term approach, uh, there is um, there is funding. We are committed to successful implementation with um, with targeted uh, and innovative programs that will complement and tie together existing programs. 
Um, the initial programs that we're going to be pursuing are going to be focused on uh, promoting gender equity, protecting women and girls, and also empowering Papua New Guinean women to become effective agents in prevention of violence. So we're building on what stakeholders are already are already doing with this uh, with this additional programming. Have you got any actual figures? Like, as funding, does funding still need to be approved for this? Mm-hmm. Uh, the initial funding for the efforts has um, has already been approved. We have some fiscal year twenty one funding uh, together with some fiscal year twenty two funding, and and we're going to continue to determine uh, future funding future funding over you know over time. Can you say how much? Yes. So the initial uh, fiscal year 21 uh, and part of 22 is $10 million, but uh, it's important to remember that that is additional. It's a complement to the to much of the important work that the United States government is already undertaking in Papua New Guinea. So this is this is an additional uh, additional funding that is aligned specifically to the strategy itself. Pacific youth are looking at how they can spark positive change in the world following the Hiroshima G7 Youth Summit, which has just wrapped up. Youth from around the world met in Japan in an effort to find solutions to stopping the use of nuclear weapons. Maohi youth delegate Tamato Tepohiari was there. Lydia Lewis spoke with a prospective PhD student in anthropology who says he wants to examine nuclear impacts in Maohi people. I'm actually in Japan for us to attend the ICANN, International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, uh, ICANN Youth Seminar for the G7. And we are actually in Hiroshima. We just, you know, got here yesterday, last night. And today is going to be the first day of this youth seminar. So we're going to talk about different topics regarding nuclear weapons in the world. Why? nuclear weapons it's so dangerous for the world and how we can abolish them through different solutions that we're gonna go through this week and i'm actually delegating i'm a youth delegate of maohinui french polynesia french occupied polynesia so yes it's gonna be a huge opportunity because i'm not the only one from the pacific there's tale that you might know there's order from fiji like Meretuilo, there's some from Solomon Islands, and we are all gathered here with uh, Reverse the Trend, thanks to Reverse the Trend, uh, which is an American NGO, uh, who, which is actually advocating for, for nuclear abolition. And there's also other youth delegates from all over the world, like in New York or, yeah, everywhere. <laughs> for you, what was it that kicked off this journey? Yes, definitely. I mean, I can say that everyone in Tahiri, Maohinui, is deeply related to nuclear testing period because all of our ancestors, grandpa, grandmas, uh, worked in that period, you know. And in your family, was anybody impacted? Particularly my grandpa, you know. So he worked on Moruroa couple of years ago and um, my grandpa died when I was born or before I was born I think yeah a year before I was born and he died you know suddenly without any understanding like he just fell down and my mom told me that you know the blood uh, came 
out from his mouth and he died. But we know now that, you know, his die, his death is related to nuclear testing period, to what he, he was doing over there first. Second, my grandma got uh, breast cancer and, you know, she was struggling with and she, you know, she she went through a medical treatments and everything, but uh, we, you know, we are pretty sure that this medical treatment, treatment, sorry, wasn't a way to heal her, but just to, you know, to slow down her death. So that's my conclusion right now. It's like not only they were involved, my grandpa was involved in uh, nuclear sites as a former worker, but uh, he got rejected. He got, you know, rejected pathology and he died. And this has had a repercussion on my grandma and all my family, like my mother and her sisters and brothers. So that's why I was saying, you know, that's why I need to, my research topic, it's more based on all of these testimonies. How do people feel regarding their deaths? Uh, everything that they went through until, you know, from that moment until now. How do you feel? <laughs> that's the great question and that's a tough question. I feel okay, you know, because I still, I'm still shining. Let's say I'm shining in the sense of, you know, uh, I'm working, I'm learning more about my history, a part of my history. I'm doing, I'm doing my part, like uh, Maori people need to do, you know, like what is uh, my own responsibility uh, and how can I contribute to this world and regarding the different issues that not only Maori but Pacific people have been struggling with. So I'm doing good, doing good because, you know, I still have this hope, this courage, this strength, this faith to to face the world, to to be responsible and to contribute to this world. But on the other hand, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy because there are so many things that I need to catch up, not only about the history, but all uh, on the research, on the different testimonies of what really happened at that time. And now that I'm in Japan, you know, I didn't think I was, I'm going to be in Japan today. So being here in Japan, in an international meeting, gathering and talk and know more about uh, nuclear weapons. So I feel just, you know, like empowered, empowered to contribute for my community. Japan plans to release over 1 million tonnes of nuclear wastewater from the damaged Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean in a couple of months. Do you know about that and what discussions, if any, are going on among the youth about that issue? Oh, thank you for this question, Lydia, because it's a really interesting question, interesting question that Tali and I have been reflected on, uh, you know, for from Saturday, 
because we got a strategy meeting with uh, some organization in the Pacific and other in the USA and some of, you know, from Jap Japan, actually. So I know that is a tough question at the same time, because that's one of my deep reflection, you know, because Japan is talking about um, nuclear disarmament actions. But on the other side, we have the TEPCO, uh, which is, you know, which plan on uh, dumping the nuclear waste in the Pacific. And that's the reason I'm, that's the reason why I'm here also in Japan. So us to, you know, to advocate for that, but to, to just tell them to stop because we cannot, you know, admit that as we, we got that in the in the in the strategy meeting that we got with Pale on uh, Saturday, uh, we were just reflecting on you know different actions so as not for them to do that in the Pacific. But I know it's also complicated at the same time. I don't, I don't know. I mean, for us as affected communities, but also for Japan. But I think it's a still uh, ongoing, it's still an ongoing reflection that we need to to you know to push forward and just to to tell them to stop because it's something that I won't admit I won't admit that they will do that again in the Pacific we have been through nuclear testing period for years and our people are struggling with a different scales like health uh, environmental political historically memories testimonies and etc so with this dumping of nuclear waste in the Pacific it's going to be more like, and they say that's going to be for 30 years. The official G7 meeting with world leaders starts on May 19th. That's Pacific Ways for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs, or you can download us on Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the amazing team here at RNZ Pacific, tofa soifua.